Good morning. I'm Stan Weatherford, and it's great to see all of you. Last Sunday, I preached in the church out in Mississippi. The Sunday before, I preached at the same church, and we had eight people there. Isn't that amazing? Last Sunday, we had 15. I'm going to write a ch- book on church growth. <laughs> amazing. You know, and I've discovered whether you have eight or 15 or 1,000, it really doesn't matter because we gather as God's people to worship Him. And that little old bitty country church out there in Mississippi where they really understand my accent, which is a good thing, people just sometimes say, Stan, would you just talk? I want to listen to you. I thought, what's wrong with these people? But anyway, whether it's a crowd like this or it's just two or three, where two or three are gathered together in Jesus' name, it's good to be there, isn't it? Because He is there in the midst of us. I'm in a unique position And all my life, I've wanted to be in this position because since God called me in the ministry and God called Scott in the ministry, we've wanted to have the opportunity to serve together. And I'm in a unique position to be able to serve with my younger brother. I got it right this service. I've been saying my little brother, but that's not really accurate. It's okay, Scott but my younger brother. So all these years, we've prayed for the privilege of being able to work together, to serve together, and being invited to be a part of this church family as a teaching pastor to come in every once in a while and share with you gives me the privilege of my younger brother, Scott, being my pastor. Isn't that great? That my brother is my pastor. Isn't that wonderful what God does? And so as my pastor... I'm under his authority because God's called him to be the pastor of the church, and I get the privilege of coming along beside him under his authority to preach God's Word. And Scott, I just want you to know how grateful I am, and uh, I just uh, appreciate this privilege. Now, he gets on to me about this, and he thinks, you know, well, you don't need to do this, but I'm going to tell you, I want you to understand what a privileged position I'm in that God's put me in this role under the authority of my brother. And we love each other. And it's all about Jesus, and it's all for Jesus, and that's all that matters. Boy, in the first service, we sang a song. And, and I'll tell you, you talk about having encounters with God. This morning in that, that early service, I, I got to where I could not sing because I had this big lump in my throat because we sang this song that just said, when it's all said and done, when it's all over with, the only thing that I want to be able to say is been all for Jesus. And that song just really touched my heart. And we're preaching today and talking about having encounters with God, encounters with Jesus. I'll tell you, I've already had one this morning as I worshiped before I came up to speak. And it made me realize that, that we're all here together and we're not here by accident. The Lord's brought us together for this purpose. And you're here this morning, and God wants to have an encounter with you. He wants to speak to your heart as he speaks to my heart and use the message that I'm going to share with you to touch your heart. And that's my prayer, is that God will speak. I absolutely have nothing to say, but God has a lot to say if we'll listen to him. You might be here this morning, and you're searching, you're seeking in your heart for that something that will bring fulfillment into your life. 
And that something is not something. That something is someone. His name is Jesus. And he will meet you where you are. And he will bring you to where you need to be. And you just simply trust him. It's by faith we're saved, forsaking all I trust him. It's by the grace of God. It's not by what we do. It's not by our merit. It's not by our looks. It's not by our heritage. It's not by any of those things. It's strictly by his grace for us, his love for us. It is the fact that God demonstrated his own love toward us in Christ, that while we were yet sinners, that means still messed up, God loved us. And he gave his son, Jesus came and lived a perfect sinless life, gave his life on the cross as the perfect sacrifice, once for all sacrifice for our sins. And when you trust him, this Jesus who died on the cross is a resurrected Lord. My Savior lives, and he'll come to live in your heart. And I'm going to tell you, there is no greater joy in the world than the joy of knowing Christ. And so when we talk about encounters with Jesus, we, uh, we're talking about a real and personal experience with the Lord. And there's not just one encounter with Christ. There are multiple encounters that we have with the Lord, and we should have those encounters every day. As a matter of fact, every time you pick up the Bible to read, you're having an encounter with the Lord because God's Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces all the way down to our hearts, and when you read God's Word, you have an encounter with God. I had the privilege this past week of doing something I've never done before, and that is go down to South Texas and go deer hunt. Well, I didn't shoot a deer, but I had a great time. I really didn't have the intentions of shooting a deer necessarily, but I did want to see the lay of the land. I'm just country boy enough that I want to know where I am and I want to know what things look like. And so you can spend a lot of lonely hours by yourself in a deer stand. If you don't believe it, go deer hunting. And so I took my New Testament with me and I sat there in the deer stand and almost read the whole New Testament while I was sitting there waiting on a deer that never showed up. But I had a good time with the Lord. And I looked around and I saw God's creation. I saw a road runner. First time I've ever seen one. I saw a road runner. I saw a big old deer that I'm glad I didn't shoot because it would have been the wrong one. And the fellow who took me was glad I didn't shoot it too. And so we were both happy. But I saw God's creation and I had an encounter with the Lord in the beauty of his sanctuary. And God's sanctuary is awesome, isn't it? Man. And so we're talking about encounters with Christ. Well, I have an assignment. Scott gave me my sermon text several weeks ago. And so uh, my pastor not only uh, lets me preach, but he tells me what to preach. And so uh, that's pretty good, isn't it? And I'm willing to do that. And so this morning we're talking about an encounters with Jesus But we're talking about that when God calls us to join him in his work, he gives us what we need to do his will. He gives us the provisions that we need to do his will. Now, you got an outline in your bulletin, and that's really the first point, which is the essence of this message, and that is when God calls us to join him in his work, he gives us the provisions we need to do his will. And God always does. And so when God calls us to join him, he's not going to just say, okay, get out there and go at it. He's going to say, no, you follow my leadership. 
You do what I ask you, and I'm going to provide the resources that you need to accomplish my purpose. Now, tonight, we'll gather as a church family for the general meeting. Now, a Baptist business meeting, I've been to a bunch of them. I had a friend of mine who said, when my wife and I got married, we moved to a small Mississippi town, and we decided to go to the Baptist church, and when we got there, we found out that they were having a business meeting. And he said, I said to my wife, you've never been to a Baptist business meeting, so you're going to have your first experience going to a Baptist business meeting. They said, he said, and they fired the preacher. Said, what an experience. Well, we're not going to do that. (laughs) By no means. You're not going to have a regular Baptist business meeting, but what you're going to have is this. You're going to have a vision casting time where God's going to speak and God's going to say, this is the direction that I'm leading And you're going to have the opportunity to join God in what he's doing through this church, First Baptist Church, Wimberley, to join God in the task that he's placed before you. This has been prayed over. It's been God's will has been sought. And and now you're going to have a crisis of belief. And the crisis of belief will be this. Can God enable us to do what he's given us the vision to do? Well, what do you think? Can God provide the resources that we need to accomplish his will? Yes, he does. And that's the text, and that's the message this morning, that when God calls us, he provides for us what we need to accomplish his will. It's not up to us alone. God's working through us. And that's the neat thing, because when you, when you see God working through you, guess what you get to do? You get to experience God. And you get to see God do incredible things through your life that you never thought possible because God uses ordinary people just like us to accomplish his will. Now, I'm trying to, this is the third sermon, third time I've been through this. And so I'm trying to remember, now, how did I do this the last time? I need to forget that, don't I? And just do it this time. I do an Alzheimer's presentation across the state of Mississippi. And You know, I I, I sang that song, She Don't Know Me Anymore. Scott wants me to sing that again tonight, uh, so brace yourself. But anyway, I went to 15th Avenue Baptist Church in Meridian, Mississippi, and did an Alzheimer's presentation with a large group of senior adults. And at the end of it, well, I played several songs, but at the end of it, I played the song I wrote for my mother, She Don't Know Me Anymore. And I sang that, and folks, after we kind of recomposed ourselves, Um, this lady came up to talk to me. And I saw her coming, and the first thing that I noticed about her was how disfigured was her face. She was missing the whole side, the left side of her face. And uh, I'm messing with this mic when I do that. But she was missing that, and her little mouth was so drawn over to the side that there was just a little bit of her mouth that was covering her teeth on the left-hand side. And she was just a little old lady. She was probably in her 80s, just a little lady. And here she comes. And she comes up to me and she says, you can tell that I had cancer. Now she's speaking with a, it's hard to understand her because of the way her mouth is deformed. She said, you can tell I've had cancer. But God's been good to me. God's blessed me through it all. And she shared with me for just a moment 
And she said, I have a job in our church. I have a job. I have a ministry in our church. I said, that's wonderful. She said, I've been a member of this church for 21 years now, and, and I, I found my ministry. She says, I go through all the Sunday school rooms, and I empty the garbage cans. And after this gathering, I'll take out all the trash. That's my ministry. And I looked at her, and I said, honey, and I don't usually call ladies honey other than my wife, but as a term of affection from my heart, I said, honey, you're one of the most beautiful women I've ever seen in my life. Why? Because she had a heart for the Lord, and she was serving the Lord, and she was doing so with an unselfish heart. She had had an encounter with Christ, and she was just serving the Lord. And it made me realize that God uses ordinary people to accomplish His will, and somebody's got to be willing to take out the trash. That's a ministry too, isn't it? So there's no big members nor small members. We're all members of the body of Christ, and we all work together to His glory. And that's what it's all about. So when you have an encounter with Christ, He changes your life. When you have an encounter with Christ, everything's different because you have a new purpose and a new direction in your life. And so when Scott assigned me this text about encounters with Christ, we specifically focus on the provisions that God gives us to accomplish His will. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we'll read a few verses here, uh, about nine of them, the first nine. And uh, this is about Jesus sending out his 12 disciples. He gave them power and authority over unclean spirits and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal diseases. And this is what he said to them. He said, take nothing for your journey, no staff, nor bag, nor bread, nor money, and do, do not have two tunics. And whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there depart. And wherever they do not receive you, when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And they departed, and they went through the villages, preaching the gospel and healing everywhere. Now, how effective was their ministry? This is what happened. Their ministry was so effective that the ruler heard about it. Now, Herod, the patriarch, heard of all that was done, and he was perplexed because it was said by some that John had been raised from the dead, by some that Elijah had appeared, and by others that one of the old prophets had risen. Herod said, John, I beheaded, but who is this about whom I hear such things? And he even sought to see Jesus. Isn't that amazing? So these guys go out, and this is the first time they go out. Now, this passage of Scripture is paralleled in the synoptic gospels. That is Matthew, Mark, and Luke all have this story. And Matthew's gospel is found in Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. And Luke's gospel is found, or in Mark's gospel, it is found in Mark 6, 7 through 13. And here in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 16. Now, if you read those parallel accounts, you will find there's a little bit of differences in those accounts. For instance, Matthew tells us that when Jesus sent these guys out, that he sent them two by two, 
He gives us the list of the names of the apostles or the 12 disciples. That's one of the places that you find the complete listing of the names of the apostles is in Matthew chapter 10, the first few verses there. Matthew tells us that he sends them out and he tells them, they go in two by two, and he says to them, now just go to the Jewish villages. Don't go to the Gentile villages or the Samaritan villages. Just go to the Jewish villages. And there's a reason for that. And maybe the main reason is that he's just saying, start where you are. (laughs) This is where we are. Start where you are. But the other thing is this, this is the first time he's sending them out. And so where would they be the most comfortable serving? Probably among the familiar people, among the familiar culture, among the people that they know. And so he's not throwing them out there into the Gentile world to start with. He's gradually leading them to a greater ministry because the time will come after the day of Pentecost that they will go not only to the Jewish people, but also to the Samaritans and then to the Gentiles and then to the whole Greco-Roman world and the gospel will spread throughout the world. But God meets us where we are and he equips us where we are and he uses us where we are and that's where we start. (laughs) And so Matthew tells us that. Now, now Mark, he has a little discrepancy in his account because in Matthew and Luke, uh, both of them say that Jesus said to them, don't take anything with you for your journey. Don't take a bag, don't take a, a coat, don't take money, don't take, you know, a staff, all of these things. But Mark, uh, in his, he does the same list, but he says, but take your staff with you. Well, that sounds like a Baptist preacher going on a retreat, doesn't it? Take your staff with you. No, your walking stick, you can take it with you. And, and some say, well, there is a contradiction in the Bible. No, that's not a contradiction. That's an accuracy in the Bible because you got three witnesses to the event and every witness is seeing it a little bit differently. I'm telling you, if everybody gets on the stand and tells the same story exactly the same way, you would say, wait a minute, they got together somewhere in a closet and made this thing up and you would lack credibility. But because you got three witnesses here, you have the credibility of these guys saying, now this is what happened. And there might be a minor detail here or there that'll be a little bit different, but the truth of the matter is it's the same. And so Jesus is sending out his disciples. And as he sends out his disciples, he's going to give them provisions to meet their needs. There, there's a couple of things that I want to do just for a moment. Uh, and, and that is, there, there's four realities of an encounter with Christ. Four realities. The first one is this. An encounter with Christ is often unexpected. Have you ever noticed that? You're going along in life and all of a sudden you meet Jesus. You know, we all, uh, if you're a believer, you, you've had an encounter with Christ that you trusted him as your Lord and Savior. And you, you might not have been expecting that, that day, but that day came and you met Jesus and he changed your life. And most of the time when you read in the Bible, when people have encounters with Christ, they weren't really expecting it. Moses, he wasn't expecting to meet God at the burning bush that day. It was just another normal day in Midian. He was out there watching the sheep and the goats. He was out there in the desert. All of a sudden, he saw a burning bush. But what happened? He went to the bush and he encountered God and it changed his life and the whole direction of his life. That's what happened. Gideon wasn't expecting to have an encounter with God when he was hiding from the Midianites down in the threshing floor, uh, threshing wheat because he was scared to death. 
out of sight, out of mind, and Midianites were in control, and he was hiding, and, and all of a sudden, God appeared to him. He said, oh, mighty man of valor. And he said, wait a minute, who are you thinking about? I'm scared to death down here in this threshing floor. And, and he had an encounter with God, and it changed the direction of his life, and he found himself leading an army, and God using him in a miraculous way. He wasn't expecting that. Peter wasn't expecting to have an encounter with Christ when he was cleaning his nets by the seashore. He just another night fishing, just another day. The hired men were there. They were cleaning nets, men and nets, and all of a sudden Jesus came walking along the seashore of their lives, and Jesus said, simply follow me, and he got up and followed Jesus. He wasn't expecting to have an encounter with Christ. You might be here this morning. You're not expecting to have an encounter with Jesus either. But God brought you here today so you would. And so sometimes those encounters are unexpected. Sometimes uh, an encounter with Christ is a unique experience, and it really is. Now, if we all shared our testimony, we'd all have a different story. We all came to Christ in a different way, but we all landed in the same place when we trusted Him. And you have a unique story of your devotion to Christ. That's an encounter. An encounter with Christ is undeniable, and it results in life change because when we encounter Christ, He does the work in us and for us and through us to accomplish His will. That's what God does. And it is a life-changing and undeniable experience. And then an encounter with Christ leads to a new undertaking. We're on mission with Him. And that mission is what we're all about. So what was Jesus' purpose in sending out His disciples? Why was He sending them out? Well, Jesus was very popular at this time. At the end of Matthew chapter 9, it says that Jesus was going about all the villages, teaching the people, proclaiming the kingdom of God. He was healing diseases. He was casting out demons. He was meeting people where they were. And Matthew tells us, and when Jesus saw the multitudes, he felt compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And then he looked at his disciples and he said, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then you go to chapter 10 and you have the list of the names of the 12 apostles and then you have Jesus sending them out. Why? Because the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few. And he's sending out his disciples for several reasons. Let me give you some of those reasons. He sent them out to deepen their relationship with God. As they would experience God working through them, they would experience a deeper relationship with the Lord. He sent them out to allow them to experience God's power at work through them. They saw what Jesus was doing. Would they be able to do the works of Christ? Would they have the same power and the ability? And Jesus said, yes, you will, that all power in heaven and earth is given to me and my authority. Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And lo, I'm with you always. So he wants them to experience God's power at work through them. And by the way, it is not by our strength Ezekiel said, it is not by strength, it is not by might, but it's by my spirit, says the Lord. And the power of the church does not come from our effort, it comes from the power of God at work in and through us. So God is able to accomplish his will. God, Jesus sent them out also to prepare them for the greater mission of proclaiming the gospel. Step by step, they would learn. Step by step, they would become stronger. 
Step by step, they would finally come to the place where Peter and John stood before the Sanhedrin and they said, don't preach in this name anymore. And they would say, we cannot help but share what we've seen and we've heard. And as the scripture said, and when they perceived the boldness of Peter and John, they knew they'd been with Jesus. Wow. So step by step, he's preparing them for a greater purpose. My son played baseball at Mississippi State. He was a pitcher, right-handed pitcher. He was drafted third round by the Colorado Rockies in 2008. So he went to Major League Baseball. When he got to Denver, they showed him the stadium there where hopefully one day he would be pitching in, in, in the stadium. But they did not immediately put him on the mound in the first Major League Baseball game that spring. Do you know what they did? They sent him to Pasco, Washington, the high desert, and he became a dust devil for a whole summer. So he was out there. Then they moved him over to North Carolina where he became another animal. <laughs> and, but they put him in the minor leagues because they wanted to develop him. He never made it because of injury, but they had a developmental process. Do you think that God has a developmental process for us? You better believe it. And you know, I can tell you this. My life has been one adjustment after another. Sometimes I got it right, and sometimes I fail miserably. But in the process of it all, God has been teaching me and helping me to grow in my relationship with Him. Why? Maybe part of that is me standing in front of you today. But I never thought about standing here in front of a big crowd of people. As a matter of fact, y'all don't realize how shy I am. Man, I do not, I, I, don't, I don't desire the limelight. I'm the, I'm the quiet one. I'm the, you know, I, anyway, you know, so, so someone, a dear church member this morning told me, she said, you're not like your brother, you know, you kind of, you know, you don't, you're kind of quiet. Well, that's who I am, you know, that's me. I'm good with that. You know, I never thought about that, but you know what? God doesn't waste anything. So all the experiences and all the things that God's brought me through, through the ups and downs and, you know, living life, God's used them to prepare to be able to stand before you and just say, God took a mess and turned it into a message. That's right. But it did. That's the story. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I'm going to tell y'all something. There was a point in my life that I was so low that I didn't think God would ever use me. But you know what God said? Get up and let's go forward. So I can tell you that God has a purpose. And so when God calls us, he has a purpose in that. But there's a th fourth thing the reason why he sent them out, and that was to lead them to rely on God's provisions to accomplish his will. So we don't go out in our own strength. We don't go out in our own ability, yet God uses our strength and God uses our ability, but he uses them when we give them to him. And so we give ourselves to him. So what are the provisions God gave them? Well, first thing he gave them was power and authority. And Luke's gospel power is always associated with the Holy Spirit. So he gave them a dose of the Holy Spirit. 
Now, they would experience the fullness of the Holy Spirit's power at Pentecost when it came upon them, but for this mission, God gave them power. He gave them the Holy Spirit so that with the power of the Holy Spirit, they could go out and proclaim the gospel, preach the kingdom, and heal folks, cast out demons and heal folks. Now, that's an incredible power, isn't it, to be able to do that? They were able to do the same works that Jesus did. And so he gives them this power. And it's one thing to have power. It's another thing to have authority to use that power. A general has great power at his disposal. He might have a nuclear resource. He might have a vast army. He's got great power at his disposal. But he can't use that power unless he has the authority to do so. He's got to have either presidential authority or congressional authority to use that power and that power is limited in its scope because power can be a terrible thing in the wrong hands. Amen? There are some spiritual charlatans out there that power is a bad thing. And so he gives them power, but he also gives them authority to go out and do what he needs them to do. Now, how does that apply to us? He gives us the same thing. We have the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Supernatural power, the Holy Spirit, who does some things. He bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. He leads us into all the truth. He reminds us of the things that Jesus said. And he brings about conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit does all that. He confirms in our hearts that we belong to Christ. As Paul says, he is the seal He's God's stamp in our heart that we belong to Jesus. He says he's also the earnest money of our full salvation, that God's made a transaction, and the transaction is by the blood of Christ. He has bought us, and he has sealed us, and he's guaranteed us that he that began a good work in us is going to complete it on the day of Christ. So we're in process, and we're growing and we're developing. So we have the Holy Spirit in our hearts, who leads us, directs us, makes Jesus known, and works through us to accomplish God's will. So it's not by our power, it's by His power operative in us. What is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to be filled and to yield. That's our responsibility. And so He gives them this power, and He gives them the authority to use it. And so he gives us the same authority. In Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth, and I give it to you. Now go and make disciples. So someone comes and says, who gives you the right to tell me that I'm a sinner and I need to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior? Who gives you the authority to do this? Well, what's the answer? God has given me the authority. We have an authoritative message that we share and the gospel is confrontational. There is no such thing as a non-confrontational gospel because the gospel hits us in the heart and we have to make a decision. That's what makes people upset sometimes because the truth is like light to sore eyes. It's like somebody says, tell me anything but the truth. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is we're sinners and we need a Savior. And the truth of the matter is, is that God's grace is greater than our sin. 
And the truth of the matter is, is God is for us and not against us. And God wants to give us a gift of eternal life. God's, that's our gracious heavenly father. And so we share that. Then Jesus gives them specific instructions. The provision, specific instructions. Jesus told his disciples what to, to do and what not to do. He said, you need to focus on a specific message. And that message is, the kingdom of God is near. And the kingdom of God just simply means this, is that God's the ruler, that God is sovereign, and God is always sovereign. He's sovereign now. He was sovereign then, and God is still on his throne. We had an election this past week. Some folks got upset about the election because it didn't go their way. I don't care. I do care, but what I want us to understand is this. Regardless of how an election goes, God's still God, and God's still in control, and God's still on his throne. And we need to trust him and live as his people in our world. And so he told the disciples, you proclaim the message that God is ruler, and you enter his righteous rule by trusting Jesus. He told the disciples they were to focus on their mission. They were to go to the Jewish villages, and there they were to focus on their mission. If they were received, stay there. If not, go to the next place. So focus on the mission. And they were to focus on ministry. And the ministry involved proclamation of the gospel, also practical acts of, mission, of ministry. Focus on the ministry. Now, he said, cast out demons and heal diseases. There's a spiritual aspect, cast out demons. There's a physical aspect, heal diseases. And our ministry is spiritual, but it's also a spiritual ministry to meet the needs of people where they are. We do a wounded warrior deer hunt in my association. We bring these wounded warriors in. Last time we did a fishing event. This last time we had 15 guys come in, wounded warriors. We took them fishing over two days. Back in January, we had 15 guys come in and we took them deer hunting two days. It wasn't about deer hunting. Deer hunting was the means that we use to be able to love these guys and to give them hope. Now, most of these guys have fought, in war, fought wars over religion, Islam and other things. They don't want anything to do with religion, and I don't either. I don't do anything with religion. But they're looking at it and saying, I watched my buddy die in a Humvee right next to me. We had one boy that was the only one who survived, and he was having survivor's remorse or grief. Why? did I live? His buddy died right here on his shoulder. And he had terrible issues. He watched his buddy die over religion. And so what do we do? We bring them in and we love on them and we let them know how much we appreciate them. And in the process of that, they begin to open their hearts to hear the gospel. And guess what? In the two years that we've been doing this so far, we've had five of those guys trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. If it was about the hunting, I would not do it. If it was just about fishing, I would not do it. But it's about meeting men where they are with the gospel. That's what we got to do. We got to meet people where they are with the gospel and love them. And the ministry's twofold. But then Jesus said, don't take anything with you. Why did he do that? What do you think? Your turn. 
What do you think? Why did he say, don't take your coat, don't take any money, don't take an extra pair of shoes, leave it all at home? Why did he say that? What do you think? All right, that's that, both, both and. One, depend on the Lord, right? The other is don't be distracted. That's what I hate about flying, because I have too much stuff to keep up with. I got a cell phone, got a carry-on bag, got a check-on bag. Is my check bag going to get there the same thing I, time I do, or am I going to have to walk around in the same clothes for three days waiting on it? Last time I traveled over here, I, I lost a, a brand-new pair of coastal sunglasses in the terminal. 200 bucks, just like that. Don't buy an expensive chair, a pair of sunglasses. Buy the cheap ones because you're going to lose them. But anyway, he said, don't let anything distract you. Leave it there. Don't let anything distract you. You know what happens in churches? We get distracted, don't we? Get too many things going on that really are not very important. But boy, we'll guard them with everything we got. If you step on my, this is my ministry. It's not doing any good, but. And we get distracted. Why don't we get, let the main thing be the main thing and focus on meeting people where they are with the gospel and, and leave the bags at the door? And just get busy doing what God wants us to do. You know, when ministry ends, mutiny begins. But as long as we're doing what God wants us to do and we're following him, we don't have time for the junk. You leave the bags at home. Now, very quickly, and I know I'm going long, and I'm, I, I'm, I apologize for that, but not really, because I have so... Because dinner will wait. <laughs> anyway, I just have so much I want to tell you and I don't get this shot very often, so I'm going to take my best shot. But the last thing, the last provision God gives us, and this is, this is really neat. He gives, us, he gives us the freedom of faithfulness. He gives us the freedom of faithfulness. He says, okay, you go. Matthew tells us that Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. And... and but he gives them this freedom of faithfulness. And he says, now this is what you do. You go to this village, they receive you, you stay there. If they don't, shake the dust off your feet and go to the next place. Man, that sounds mean, doesn't it? I'm going to get out in front of your house, I'm going to stomp my feet and say, I ain't coming back here. That's Mississippi talk, by the way. And they understand that in it, Mississippi. But what he's saying is this. Guys, the results are not left up to you. All you need to do is be faithful. God takes care of the results. You just do what I say, and you trust God to take care of the results. You know, they're going to accept the message. Amen. They reject the message. That's not your problem. It becomes their problem big time, but it's not your problem. You know, don't try to solve something that's not your problem. <laughs> Don't stick your nose in somebody else's problem that's not your problem. You're going to get your nose broken. And God says, listen, it, this, that's not your problem. Your issue is to be faithful to do what I've asked you to do. Now go about doing that. 
be faithful to carry out my will. Okay? And there's freedom in that. Because that means that all I need to concentrate on is faith and obedience. And I'll leave the results up to God. Do you know with God, success is faithfulness? Now, I grew up Southern Baptist, and we measure success by nickels and noses. But God doesn't measure success that way. He measures it by faithfulness. By the world's standards, Jeremiah was a total failure. He preached for 22 years, and nobody responded. Oh, they responded all right. He had a great investment in the stock and bond market because they had him in stocks and they had him in bonds and threw him in a pit and everything else. They responded all right. But by the world's standards, this man was a total failure. But by God's standards, he was a faithful servant. William Carey preached for 13 years in India before anyone accepted Christ. I think sometimes we use the wrong standard of measure. Think about how well things are. Because God's standard is this. Are we faithful to Him? And that's all that matters. And that's what's most important. And so God gives us the provisions we need to accomplish His will.